This is Confessions of a Closet Romantic, a podcast where I talk about romantic books, movies, TV shows, and why I love them so much without embarrassment or shame. Well, mostly. This is Poppy, and in this episode, The Grabby Kiss, Becoming Jane. I recently watched Becoming Jane, a movie from, I think it's 2007, but I had never seen it, and I can't believe that because it's right down my alley. But I rented it based on just a few words from a stranger online who was reviewing, I think she was on Amazon reviewing it, like a Jane Austen spinoff book, and said, you know, I really preferred the movie Becoming Jane. All I will say is, James McAvoy in the woods. (laughs) Turns out this is one of my favorite visual romantic tropes ever. And I figured out that James McAvoy played Jane Austen's early love interest, Tom LaFroy, in this movie. And that's all it took for me to rent it, knowing nothing else about it. I mean, that just makes me giggle. Is there a romantic trope called passion played out in the woods? Because I am so down with these scenes each and every time. They just stir me. Remember the scene from the Gwyneth Paltrow 1996 Emma with the romantic reconciliation kiss between Mr. Knightley and Emma under the huge oak tree in the woods? I rode through the rain. I'd I'd ride through worse than that if I could just hear your voice telling me. Might at least have some chance to win you. Mr. Knightley, if I have not spoken, it is because I am afraid I will awaken myself from this dream. It cannot be true. But I feel so full of error, so so mistaken in my makeup to deserve you. What of my flaws? I've humbled you, and I've and I've lectured you, and you have borne it as no one could have borne it. Maybe it is our imperfections which make us so perfect for one another. is the high bar for passion played out in the woods. That, to me, could almost qualify for a one-scene wonder, which I'm going to get at in another episode, but I think that whole Emma movie is so good, it's like a rewind wonder. But anyway, Becoming Jane has a few scenes like that. You know, that pure, visual, romantic gold. It's definitely rewind over and over territory, but overall, movie was a bit melancholy for me, but I'm a huge fan of Anne Hathaway, who has just the right neck and hair for the 18th century costumes. Hey, that's important. I really love Anne and Gwyneth Paltrow, especially in costume dramas. I just don't understand why people don't enjoy them. But anyway, back to 
James McAvoy and Anne Hathaway. Okay, so there is Anne looking gorgeous in the costumes. And she also has a gorgeous, tender chemistry with James McAvoy. It's just hard to express. It's like a softness and a truthfulness and a sincerity and honesty and sweetness. There's just something, something about it. Okay, so in this movie... Looking back and thinking about the romantic gold that is contained in just a few really amazing scenes, here's an example. When McAvoy as Tom strides across nearly the whole frame in a beautiful crushed velvet frock coat, you know, the men who can wear frock coats well in these dramas, I just adore it. But he grabs Jane and kisses her at the exact point in the plot when we need to know how deeply they feel about each other. Did I do that well? Very, very well. I want to just wants to do it well. I have no money, no property. I am entirely dependent upon that bizarre old lunatic, my uncle. I cannot yet offer marriage, but you must know what I feel. Jim, I am yours. I am yours. I am yours, heart and soul. Much good that is. These are the tropes. Miss Wexford. Don't do this. And so you would marry Wesley. If there is a shred of truth or justice inside of you, you cannot marry him. Oh, no, Mr. Lefroy. Justice by your own admission. You know little of truth, even less. Jane, I have tried. I have tried, and I cannot live this lie. Can you? Can you? What value will there be in life if we are not together? Run away with me. That is exactly what I propose. We'll post to London. By Friday, be in Scotland, and man and wife. And in this movie, we also get a great dance scene. Another one of my absolute favorite visual romantic tropes. I mean, th- this director understood the beats that had to be hit. So she, Jane arrives at this party, this ball or something, and she can't find Tom Lefroy in the crowd. And you can see her disappointment. You can tell she's accepting, okay, he's not attending this. So she starts to dance with this guy. Everybody's encouraging him to her to marry. And he's just, oh, this is what tells you what this guy is like. He can't dance very well. And, <laughs> and in the dance scene, Jane is obviously dejected. And he, the camera turns to this guy, this milk toast, this guy who's, you know, of course, he's set to inherit a huge estate. And the parents are all fans of her marrying this guy. And he's counting silently to get through the dance. And Jane, you can just tell, Jane runs rings around this guy intellectually. 
and socially, and it's a terrible match. Okay, so that's the setup. So she's dancing with this guy. She looks dejected. Suddenly, Tom pops up from the bottom right of the frame to complete a dance step that Jane started with this guy. And it finishes, it's a close, intimate one where their shoulders touch, their heads are turned towards each other. That editing choice and his glance at her is almost worth the price of admission alone. I can't communicate how James McAvoy just hits that right where he, it's like he suddenly realizes, oh, this woman is my woman. And it's so clear from that scene. I love when directors use the dance scenes in these costume dramas to convey major plot turns and important plot information. It is so, there's something about the music, the choreography. It's such a perfect place to put that info. And of course, they're just glancing at each other. They don't say much, but it's all about the body language and the glances. Ah! Okay, so then they start to hit it off, and there's a scene when Jane and her cousin stay with Tom and his benefactor uncle in town, I guess, and Tom has plans to persuade his uncle that a match with Jane is a great match. So they're staying with him, and they're going upstairs heading to bed, unfortunately in separate rooms, but the passionate heat they generate just walking upstairs (laughs) is astounding. There's very little dialogue, but the scene alone makes this film worth a watch. This life with you. Yes. Fry. The judge. The man's like a man. He will be generous. I'm sure of it. You'll speak with him. Tomorrow, I promise. I really must say goodnight. Good night. Good night. Miss Austin. Yes. Good night. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. I think it's the promise of these beautiful scenes and then the disappointment, which is definitely based on Jane Austen's real life, is hard for me to take. I watched the movie twice, and I liked it a lot better on the second viewing, but I still turn it off when Jane Austen turns back from eloping with Tom LaFroy. I understand her decision, but it makes me feel sad because I made similar choices in my own life, and I guess I realized early on having it all is a difficult concept for a woman of any time or place to make a reality, and I just knew that when I was a younger woman. In another scene, Tom arranges for Jane to visit a famous, successful novelist, Anne Radcliffe. And this is such a sweet, modern, self-actualized male thing to do for her. It's just astounding. I think he wants to persuade her that marriage to him and having a writing career were both possible. That, to me, is love. And Jane quizzes Radcliffe very directly to find out if having it all 18th century style was possible or an impossible fantasy. Radcliffe was married, and she says that she doesn't think it's impossible. So Jane goes off happy, but of course at the time it all came down to money. Tom was well on his way to a law career, but 
He depended on inheriting money from this uncle to survive until he was a success. In a dinner scene with this uncle, he brings up how much Radcliffe made as a novelist of the time, which was an astounding amount of money. And everyone at the table was shocked, but his efforts still didn't persuade the uncle that Jane and Tom's match could work. Ugh. And grumpy uncle scared them off. The rest of the movie surrounding these love scenes, these beautiful, honest, open-hearted, gorgeous love scenes between Jane and Tom, it's a bit melancholy. And I think they get to gray-haired, resigned spinster Jane in later years too fast after the promise of these hot, passionate scenes. But I, I do love the message that a woman doesn't need to marry to have a fulfilling life. That is a good thing but I felt irrationally mad at Jane Austen in this film. I was like, letting go of the love of your life to see him marry and have children with another woman because you don't think he or you could make enough money to support you and all of these relatives. So I guess Tom had a lot of relatives back in Ireland that he that depended on him. But how do you not have the confidence in each other to take a chance and prove it? I know this probably happens a lot in real life, but it's so disappointing to me. I don't know a ton about Jane Austen, the person, but I'm guessing this is in keeping with her actual character. And she knew entering into a marriage with someone with unstable finances was a great risk. Her sister Cassandra reminds her of this as she packs her bags to elope with Tom. And in fact, the novelist Anne Radcliffe asks Jane in their conversation what she wants to write about and has she had experience in any of that. Really important to have had experience in real life, but obviously she says it doesn't always matter because look, in Jane Austen's case or the Bronte sisters' case, they were all fairly sheltered, living in the country without a lot of grand adventures in real life, that they use their vivid imaginations to produce Amazing novels. And that's basically what Anne Radcliffe says to Jane Austen in this movie. It kind of proves, I guess, why Jane Austen may have written the novels she wrote. Because she made sure her characters got plenty of adventures and a happy ending, even though she couldn't get one for herself. Mm, Boo. Another interesting thing, the movie volume is pitched very low, which I didn't think about until I watched it again. And I had to turn on subtitles. There are so many quiet lines. And in a few scenes, Jane reads aloud as she's writing the first draft of Pride and Prejudice. And that choice to draw the viewer closer to the screen is so intimate and interior. It fits perfectly with the story. This happens a lot in her scenes with Tom as well. Uh, If I didn't feel it was extravagant, Maybe I still will. I would literally buy this movie just for those passionate scenes between Jane and Tom. They are so beautifully done. But the whole thing is definitely worth a look if you are a Jane Austen fan or a costume drama nut like I am. Oh, Jane, I just wish she got her happy ever after. I'd love to feature your romantic confessions on this podcast. Tell me about your favorite romantic movie, TV show, book, or your first kiss. 
Just confess on your phone, record a voice memo, click share, and email by visiting confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. Or leave me a voicemail by clicking on the tiny blue microphone at the bottom of the page. Don't forget to let me know if you want your confession to be private or shared. I cannot wait to hear about your obsessions. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I have rewound that amazing discovery of Witch's Kiss about 29 times. Any sound effects you hear are courtesy of the good people at freesound.org under a Creative Commons license. Find the show notes with links to everything I've been babbling about at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. It was so nice to have your company. Until next time, wishing you shame-free romance.